Great. Thanks, Agnes. Um, and let's, <coughs> excuse me, do keep that open. Uh, and you also find the talk notes helpful. Um, and let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to, to think about these verses together. Uh, Father God, we uh, read these words and they are hard to hear. They're challenging to us. Um, Father, we uh, also even just reading them know they are harder to put into practice, to believe and to live out. And so we pray for your Spirit's work in us and now to be changing us and then in our hearts and our lives going out that these things would have a real impact in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's a, it's a scary world that we live in, is it not? Uh, you're aware of um, your own personal fears, uh, the fears that are, are common in our world at the moment, and perhaps climate fear, um, chief amongst them, or perhaps the fear of world leaders and some of the chaos they might bring about, maybe financial fears, maybe you're one of those at 1.6 million mortgages coming to an end of the fixed rate this year and you're worried about what's fearful of what's coming next or fearful about rent that is going up and up and up. And as I say, we've all got those individual fears too. It is a scary world we live in. It's a particularly scary world for Christians. And for many Christians across our world, people are living in real fear of real physical um, danger for being a Christian. Maybe to 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 believe in Jesus and to speak for Jesus, to live for Jesus, is to put themselves at real risk of harm. Here for us, that harm might be less, but it is not easy being a Christian. And, and I think we're seeing it become increasingly more difficult. Maybe perhaps for the first time, or increasingly so, you're seeing the, the atmosphere change from a position of indifference, maybe towards more hostility at the moment. How do we as Christians navigate this scary world? Now Jesus' answer, which he gives us today, perhaps isn't quite as straightforward as we might assume or might think. So yes, he tells us to not fear. In fact, there are four things that he tells us not to fear. But also, he tells us to fear. Positively, he says we need to locate our fear in the right place. So each of these four reasons why, four things that we're not to fear, he accompanies with a reason why. And the one thing that he does tell us to fear again, we are told why. You might remember last week if you were here, if you weren't, uh, we saw Jesus at a dinner party with a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus exposed them. He exposed their hypocrisy. He showed, explained to them how they love putting on a show and a pretense. They love creating rules which they make them look so holy and so good. But the reality was that on the insides they were far from God. And we finished last week by seeing the warning at the beginning of chapter 12. Um, Jesus' warning to the disciples. And that's where we're picking up again today. So we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 12 again because we'll see how it links the previous passage into today's. So the first thing we're going to see is don't fear the thoughts of others. Don't fear the thoughts of others. 
The crowds, they come flocking to Jesus, perhaps um, drawn by him taking on the religious establishment a little bit. Their crowds flock in their thousands, it says in verse 1, and so much so that they were trampling one another. Incredible scene. But then Jesus gives the warning to his disciples, but also with a couple of thousand people eavesdropping. Second half of verse 1, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven or yeast, that rising agent, that a little bit of it spreads right throughout a whole batch of dough. And Jesus warns the disciples against that pervading corruption of the Pharisees. And Jesus is explicit what that is. It's, it's hypocrisy. He says to the disciples, look, beware, watch out, be on your guard. Have nothing to do with this, the yeast of the Pharisees. If you're not careful, their hypocritical corruption is going to spread to you. Now the word hypocrisy comes from the idea of um, putting on a mask or playing a part. You know, so if you would have gone to a play in those days, it might have a mask that you'd put on uh, to play a different role. And that's what hypocrisy is. It's putting on a mask to conceal what's really underneath. And why is it that we are so tempted to put masks on? Well, isn't it because we fear what other people are going to think? We put on the mask of, I'm all sorted when I come to church. Because we fear people knowing that actually I'm really struggling and my walk with the Lord is really hard at the moment. We don't want people to know that, so we put the mask on. We put on the mask of, I'm, I'm so busy serving at church, I'm loving it to conceal the facts that we've become so bitter in service. We put on the mask of, like, I'm really holy, like, really holy. I take my relationship with God really seriously. And we, we put on that mask to, to conceal the fact that actually I'm really struggling with, with alcohol or pornography, something that we think that Christians should never struggle with. We put on the mask because we're afraid of what other people are going to think. But Jesus says, don't fear the thoughts of others. And he gives the reason why. The reason why we should not fear the thoughts of others is ultimately because God sees them and is going to bring them to light. So verse 2, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Those things that we think are hidden, that we would so desperately long that other people would never come to know, actually often are revealed. Often they come to light. But even the things that don't now, one day, God will bring those things to light on the day of judgment. See, hypocrisy, it thrives in secrecy. You know, we put on the mask because we don't want people to find out what is hidden. We're afraid of what they're going to think. But it, we are freed from that hypocrisy when we remember that actually God sees them. God knows them. God will bring those things to light. Don't try and cover them up and put on the pretense now because there's no hiding from God. Don't fear the thoughts of others. We, we fear God, what God thinks, most of all. 
Secondly, and we'll see how very much these things all link together. Um, the second point there is don't fear people. <coughs> Excuse me, fear God. Going against the, the status quo, the religious status quo, having sincere hearts that love God and are ge- seeking to genuinely live for Jesus and be faithful before Jesus, living like that is going to draw opposition. And so Jesus prepares his disciples for that opposition. And his big headline is, look, don't fear people, fear God. That's what he says. It starts in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. First off, don't fear people. You can maybe think of the people now who in your life have power over you. Governments, boss, bank, all those who maybe have power over you. And yet their power is limited. Now, many places in our world today and most periods throughout history, there have been people who want to kill Christians' bodies. There has been that level of persecution. And yet, Jesus says here, don't fear those who would kill your body. Why? Well, what's the worst that person can do? The worst that person can do is indeed kill your body. That is not nice. But Jesus says that is not the worst outcome for somebody being physically killed. That is not the worst outcome. No, the worst outcome is verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. So don't fear the people, but there is someone you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. We've just seen, haven't we, that our actions and our attitudes are going to be brought into the light on the day of judgment. And in the light of that day, fear God. We should fear God more than we should fear people. Fear the one who has authority to throw into hell. People, the worst they could do is kill your body. But compared to God, who when we die has the absolute authority to send you to eternal punishment, fear him. Now, fearing God, and and fear is a positive thing, is almost an alien idea in our culture today. Our, Our society views fear almost entirely as a negative thing. And you can see why we we might talk of playing on someone's fears. And that's manipulation and coercion. That's that's obviously not a good thing. We might think of dictators using fear as a tool to keep people compliant. And maybe we all have that personal experience, again, of fearing a person or fearing something, phobias, negative things. And so, yes, oftentimes fear is a bad thing. But it is far too oversimplistic to say, therefore, that fear, as in and of itself, is a bad thing. Because our society, again, is far too simplistic. You know, whatever makes me happy must be good and right. And whatever doesn't make me feel good, therefore, must be wrong. And often fear doesn't make us feel good, so we think it must be a wrong thing. But that's far too simplistic. 
it is surely self-evident that some fear is good. Then if you've come across the Darwin Awards, um, they're, they're darkly humorous awards to, uh, to people whose failure to fear has led to their deaths. Um, just a couple of entries from a few years ago. There's a 59-year-old man in Utah. He found a stash of dynamites in a shed on his ranch and worried that this dynamite was a bit unstable. He thought he decided he had to deal with it. And his method of dealing with it was putting in a pile, taking 40 paces back and then shooting it with a shotgun. The dynamite fought back. Or a 32-year-old and a 23-year-old man um, in a car together in Texas. You Americans. Yeah, there are a few of you, so I'm joking. But the, the two Americans are in a car. Um, they come across a drawbridge that is uh, closed to cars and open to boats. Mistake number one, the man got out and opened the barrier by hands. Mistake number two, he got back into the car. Mistake number three, you know where I'm going. He tried to jump the gap. No fear often leads to an early death. Some fear is so evidently good and right and shouldn't be avoided. And Jesus puts fear in God in that category. Fearing God is a good and right and sensible thing. Fearing the one who has that final authority on your eternal destiny is surely a good and right thing. And we fear him over people who may even do what we might think might be the worst. Now we fear the one who has the authority to cast into hell. Hell um, is the word there for Gehenna. Um, in the Old Testament, it was a site of child sacrifice, and it was declared unclean. And in Jesus' day, it was a, a rubbish dump that kind of had a, a, a eternal, um, not eternal, but constant uh, fire burning um, all the rubbish up. And it served as an apt image to eternal, the reality of eternal punishment. Don't fear death. We don't fear the people who can bring that death. No, fear God. And if we are not to fear those who could do, that, do the worst, who could kill us, well, how much less should we fear those who might scorn us or mock us? Or look down upon us. And we need to redirect that fear. And also at the same time, we're not to think, Christians are not to think of God as he appearing over our shoulder, just waiting for us to step out of line so he can finally throw us into hell, which is what he wanted all along. Now, Jesus, do you see how he starts in verse 4? He addresses the disciples as his friends. And now he goes on to explain that God cares deeply for his people. So our third point is don't fear hostility. Very much the same thing again. But we don't, that, that those who might seek to kill, who, who are hostile towards us, it's scary, it's not a pleasant prospect. But God says we don't have to fear that. You see in verse 7, Jesus says, um, fear not there in the middle. And why is it we don't have to fear that hostility? And, you know, it's easier said than done, isn't it? But why not? Well, it's because God cares. Sorry, first of all, God knows. Then he cares for his people. 
excuse me, so firstly, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And are not one of, uh, sorry, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Sparrows, you know, in our day, but in their day too, um, kind of cheap, insignificant. You know, if you went to the marketplace, you could buy, buy um, two sparrows for a penny. And you know what, they're so kind of cheap and insignificant. Actually, if you gave 2p, they'd actually throw an extra one in as well. You get five, five for 2p. They're, they're so small, so insignificant, and yet not one of them is forgotten before God. God knows about everything going on in this world, even those insignificant little sparrows. And then he goes on in verse 7, Why, even the hairs of your head, uh, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, if you have red head, Apparently, you, on average, redheads have the, an average of 90,000 hairs. If you've got black hair, you have an average of 100,000 hairs. Brown hair, an average of 110,000 hairs. If you have blonde hair, you have an average of 150,000 hairs. I guess I'm probably a little less than average. Yeah? But, yes, I might be less than average. Yes, I might be tens of thousands off. God knows every single one of them. Every single one of the hairs on your head, God knows every single one of them. God, who knows that, surely knows about everything that we may go through. It is deeply comforting to know that he knows. But it's not just that he knows, it's that he cares. So he finishes verse 7, Fear not, you are of that, sorry, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. If God knows about these insignificant little birds and he cares about those sparrows, are you not far more valuable than them? Yes, of course you are. How much more does he know and does he care about us? Now Jesus doesn't say God is therefore going to keep us from all harm. I think that's what we would like him to say. No, but in those hard things, in those painful times, in those fearful moments, God knows he cares. He is watching over and will keep his people safe eternally. God is for his people committed to them. So we don't fear that hostility. It's wonderfully assuring to know that God will remember us in this lifetime, but it is even far more important that he acknowledges us in the life to come. And here's uh, the final point there, which is don't fear standing for Jesus. Living with the, (coughs) the prospect, or indeed the reality, of hostility will inevitably put pressure on Christians to withdraw, to keep quiet, to keep our heads down, to, to remain silent. And yet fearing God more than people should mean that we, don't, that we won't fear standing for and speaking for Jesus. 
And again, he gives us a great reason, reason why. In a moment, he draws that picture of the ultimate courtroom, the heavenly courtroom with Jesus there on the throne and all the angels. So verse 8, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also, will also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Jesus draws up the, the, the then, sorry, the now and the then. It's very simple. For, for those who stand for Jesus, who speak for Jesus, acknowledge Jesus now, well, so will on that day Jesus will acknowledge them. You know, on that day when all of our secrets, all of those things that would condemn us, well, if we confess Christ now, if we call upon his name and we confess him, well, then the Son of Man on that day will rise to our defense. We'll say, yeah, he, he, he's with me. They're with me. Whereas on the flip side, those who deny Jesus now, who, um, who won't make that stand because they fear other people more than God, well, then on that day, are going to be, Jesus is going to say, no, I, I don't know them. He's not going to acknowledge them. Now at the moment, you're probably thinking, if you're anything like me, yikes, what about those times, even this week, where I failed to acknowledge Jesus? Where perhaps I bailed out of a, the, the, thing, the conversation entirely, or at least muddled it and softened it because I didn't, was embarrassed to say anything about Jesus. Yeah, I'll talk about church, and I'll talk about my job, but I won't talk about Jesus. Now, when we, when we all think of these times, I want to say, well, think of Peter. Peter, who publicly, repeatedly, deliberately denied Jesus those three times, and yet who was forgiven and restored. But if there's that pattern of I'm going to hide Jesus from anything, everyone and everything, if that is the attitude of my heart, well, then hear this warning. Hear this warning of our, our attitudes now and what that means for the future. Think of Jesus, but also, uh, sorry, think of Peter and that example, but actually also Jesus goes on to provide comfort. So you, you get comfort, verse 8, uh, warning, verse 9, comfort, for, <coughs> uh, verse, uh, sorry, first half, verse 10, warning, second half of verse 10. Sorry, there we go. So let's see that, that comfort again, verse 10. And then everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But for those who are truly trusting in Jesus and um, either they fail to speak for him or they say something against Jesus, there is forgiveness for those things. This perfection is not the level that Jesus counts. We can never meet it. No, we're saved by trusting in him and him alone and in his death. But again, there's that warning. He goes on. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Here's the unforgivable sin. And, and this half verse has caused incredible amounts of ink to be spilt in what he means. But he doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is particularly tetchy. And if you say anything against the Holy Spirit, that's it, game over. But no, the, the role of the Spirit is to testify to Jesus, his lordship, 
to his saving work and the importance of submitting to him, trusting in him. Now the one who rejects that spirit's work, who um, it continues to ignore, ignore his testimony, well then they're being cut off from the Savior. So the encouragement, warning. Encouragement, yes, uh, for those God's people, there is forgiveness for those fail- failures. But that warning, now actually if you're, you're going to refuse that testimony of Jesus and you're going to back away, well then, there is real, dire, eternal consequences. But also, because he care, God cares for us, we also don't need to fear, again, standing for Jesus. Jesus here uses a specific situation, a scenario, uh, which the disciples uh, might face, and indeed they did, the, the first 12, certainly. We read about it in the book of Acts. Verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You see, the God who, who cares for you, who knows the number of hairs on your head, the God who, who um, you are valuable to, he is not going to forget us in our hour of need. The Spirit is going to help. And again, you read about this in the book of Acts. You know, in those times of real danger, we don't need to fear that God's going to step away. God will be there helping. So rather than holding back and and refusing to be bold because of fear, this encourages us towards courageous confidence. And, and as we fear that pressure to, to deny Jesus, we, we know that pressure is great, and yet the promises of God are even greater, of, him, of his care, of his help, and the, most wonderfully of that eternal security. It is a scary world that we live in, but the solution that Jesus presents is knowing God. As we know God and as we fear him, that is what's going to help us uh, to, to not fear those things that we shouldn't. So first off, it, it, as we are tempted to put on the mask to try and, uh, because we fear other, what other people think, now remember that who God is. God is the one who sees, who knows, and who is judge and is going to bring all these things into the light. As we're tempted to fear those who could do us real physical harm, we're reminded that you know, God is the one with ultimate authority and power. As we, are to, as we might fear that hostility from others because of our faith, we remember God, again, the one, God who sees, who cares, who knows. And then finally, as we, we would fear standing up for Jesus because of that pressure, now again, we remember um, that Jesus is the one um, who, who stands up for his people on the day of judgment, and says, I know you. And God, who provides what will be needed in those moments. Now, the solution as we journey this scary world is knowing God and fearing him rightly. Sometimes when I um, uh, read of uh, some biographies, particularly missionaries, 
And you, you see some of the things they did, and you read of their fearlessness, and I'm slightly awed by, by what I read. And I'm, I'm tempted to think, you know, these were some exceptional people. But actually, I, I think, perhaps no, we are not to see that as exceptional. Really, they are Christians who have located their fear in the right place. As Christians who locate their fear in the right place, that frees up that fearless boldness. And actually, that should typify all of us. It may not be worked out by going to another part of the world, maybe, but but probably not for most of us. But in the places that God has put us, locating our fear in the right place frees us for that fearless boldness. And let's pray that God would work this fear in our hearts and therefore our lives too. So let's pray. Our Father God, we uh, praise you and we humble ourselves before you. You, the one who has all authority, who sees all, who knows all, who will judge justly. Please would we remember that and fear you rightly. Father, we praise you also that you care, that you are watching over your people. You, you know and we're valuable to you. We can trust you to ultimately care for us now but uh, to care for us now but ultimately uh, in the future in eternal security Father please would these truths uh, be so precious to us now that we'd hold on to them now but not just now but tomorrow as we go out to a workplace and um, to the school gates and all those other things please Father would you um, help us to cling on to these things in those moments too, that our fear would be located in the right place. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.